0: I appreciate so much that you've joined us this weekend. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Um, Many of you probably ate food. Maybe you have your own traditions. Maybe some of you played football. I don't know. But here's what I know. I played a little football this weekend, and it was fun because about a month ago, I want to tell you a story about something that scared me. I was on a flag football team, and it was the playoff time, And so I caught a pass, and I turned, and I was like, man, I'm close to the end zone, so I start running towards it. There's one defender that I thought might get my flag, so I made the amazing decision to dive. And let me tell you, it was a perfect dive, too, because I extended the football out, it hit the pylon, everything was great. And then I landed right on my shoulder. And so I got up, and I was like, oh, man, I scored. Found out I didn't score, which was miserable. Um, and then went to grab the football and throw it back to the quarterback, and I could just tell. And many of you have probably had this moment where you're like, something's not right. That hurt a lot more than it should. And so I was like, you know what, I'll, I'll just take a playoff, and, and hopefully it will get better. Everyone's kind of coming over, like, hey, are you okay? Are you okay? I'm like, mm, my shoulder's bothering me. Come to find out also that... I play in an old man flag football league, so the reason it didn't count is because you can't dive in the league, (laughs) which I was like, that's awesome. But as the time went on, I was like, man, I was hoping to get back into the game, but the shoulder just kept getting worse and worse and worse. It felt like it kind of locked in, and I was like, oh, man. And guys on my team started to notice, and and one of them was like, hey, man, I think we need to take you to the yard. It looks like it's pretty painful. So we go there i wait four hours. It was amazing. And find out, here's, here's what the verdict was. I have a separated shoulder right at the AC joint, and I have a grade three. Now, I didn't know this, but there are six grades to separating your shoulder. And I'm right in the middle, and they say, you're going to go need to see an orthopedic doctor. I do, and he's like, so here's the deal. You can get surgery, or you don't have to. And I was like, that's really helpful. Thank you. (laughs) I paid for that advice. Like, that thing, like, really? So there was this stuck moment to where I'm like, I thought for sure, like, it was almost anticlimactic because all of that, and it's kind of like, eh, you can't get surgery, you can't get surgery. So I'm stuck, waiting for the, like, the next week going, okay, do I get surgery, and here's how the surgery's going to go. It's six weeks of not moving my shoulder, and they're going to put a plate in and some screws, and then they have to go back in and remove them. And I'm thinking, all I could think in my brain was like, six weeks of not moving my shoulder. I have three kids under the age of five. How am I going to keep them off of my shoulder? How am I going to dress myself? My poor wife, she's going to have to dress four people. <laughs> and I'll just sit there embarrassed, like, can you help me? So that's going on in my brain. And the thought of paying for surgery was just like, no, this is miserable. So then the other side of it is going, well, let's not do surgery. But then there's me going, but I still want to play sports. I still want to do all this. What if it doesn't work? And so I'm kind of asking the doctor, like, what's the best? And he's like, I have no idea. And I'm like, come on! I don't know if you've ever been in that situation to where you're stuck kind of weighing the cost of stuff because you want this future reward. What I wanted is to not have to burden my family, but also be able for my shoulder to heal completely. We always process this when things are broken. When we break something in our bodies, yes, we have to kind of go, okay, what's the healing process? What is it going to take? It's going to take this time. We have to wait and see how it all plays out. Some of us elect to go to have surgery. Some of us don't, whatever the case may be. But what I also is interesting is that This also happens when we have broken relationships. When things break uh, in relationships, there's this kind of tension now of, okay, do I fight for this relationship, or do I just leave it? Do I give up on it? And so what I want to kind of focus on is kind of that moment where you have to weigh the costs and go, what's the best decision? so I can get the future rewards that I want. Because we're all in those dilemmas all the time. Now, if you want to know the ending to the story, here's what happened. I didn't get surgery, or you would have saw me like this. And my shoulder's actually been doing really well. Full movement is back. I was able to play on Thanksgiving. So things are going well. But going back to that cost conversation, I want to give you a what-if scenario. Because that's usually what happens. What if this, what if this, that's how we kind of weigh it. So think about your life, and let me give you a what if scenario. What if I could give you something that could heal your brokenness, that could give your life purpose, and help you have an incredible impact the people around you? Now most of us would probably go skeptical, Some of us might be willing to say yes, because you're just, I just believe. Some of us are like, no. But the part I'm more curious about is what's gonna be the deal breakers for you? Because if I were to give you this thing, what would be the thing that you'd be like, nope, I can't do that. That's the deal breaker. That's where it's gonna cost too much. I wonder for you if it was, you know what, You, if Todd, if it was a relationship with God, that would be a deal breaker, because you and God have never gotten along. Or what if it's your time? What if it's your comfort? What if it's your desires? What is the deal breaker for you, where you go, that cost is too much? Because go back into this tension, I feel like it's a tug of war. Because there's the current cost, I'll even put the current self where you're at right now. And then there's the future self, what you want to do, what you want to become, what you want to see happen in your life, the healing that could happen. And you're kind of holding on to both. And give you an example, there'd be the future self that goes, I want to be healthy. But the current self going, but Thanksgiving just happened. I mean, let's be honest, those pies were amazing. I can't control myself in the front of those carbs. There's the future self that goes, I want a meaningful job, and you hold on to that. But the current self has this fear that goes, I don't know if I'm ready to let go of this job, although I don't like it. Future self of going, I want meaningful relationships. Current self going, I don't even know if I'm taking time to work on myself. See, this tension is always present. And it's always pulling at us. And that's why I thought tug-of-war was the best example I could ever think of for this. And so I wanted to show you a video of an epic, epic tug-of-war battle. You'll enjoy it. Watch this. Those are three WWE wrestlers, okay? They've got some muscles, let's just be honest. That lion is not moving at all. Neither is that rope, okay? I, I, have you ever felt like that's your life? Where your future self is going, let's go, come on, we can move somewhere. Your current self is like, absolutely not. We're going to stay right here. And it's frustrating, isn't it? You see it even in the guys. They give up and they're like, man, it's not moving. You've probably felt that in life to where you're like, I'm trying. Life is trying to go in a certain direction. I'm trying to get it to go. I want those things, but it's just not working. And you have those feelings where it's like the cost just must be too much. Must not be in the cards for me. And We just give up. Or we just think it's just not meant to be. Or we're doing it the wrong way whatever the feeling or the excuse starts to be. And see, Jesus noticed this tension in our lives. And he addressed it. Look at this. He said this in John 10:10. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Now, if you grew up in church, you may have heard this verse. Maybe if you didn't, you've heard this verse. But I want to point out, it points out the tension that exists in our lives. And Jesus goes, here's what it is. There's the thief. There's Satan. And his purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy to where pretty much keep your life stuck in the current reality, to where you can't grow. Because isn't that the most frustrating piece of life sometimes? Where you feel like no growth is happening. Something has plateaued, and you just feel stuck. It's miserable. And I think that's what Satan's goal is, is just keep you in the stuck mentality. But then Jesus says, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. There's a lot of hope in this verse. There's a lot of, yes, that's what I want. I mean, and Jesus is willing to give it to us, and He says, this is my purpose. This is why I've come. But the question we've got to ask ourselves is, what is that rich and satisfying life? Because if I were to take a poll of all of you, I think you would all answer it very differently. Because how you would define, how you would define satisfying could be very different than how I would. So I want to make sure, like, what is Jesus saying? What is he getting at? I want to make sure we understand his context for why he's saying that. And so if you study it, kind of the Greek phrasing for this points to this understanding of, of mathematical equation to where Jesus is going, hey, if you follow me. The purpose I've come is to give you this rich and satisfying life. I will increase it. It will grow. Think of it as a meter or a lever. You've gone up in levels now. Jesus, if you're willing to listen to me and let my purpose play out in your life, that's what the rich and satisfying life can be. And he spells it out all through the Bible. So look at it. Here's the two main things Jesus offers when he says, this is the rich and satisfying life that I can give you. First thing is the ability to overcome the struggles in life when people hurt us, or when sin gets in our life, whatever the case, whatever the obstacle, whatever the struggle, Jesus is saying, if you want the rich and satisfying life, here's what I can do. I can give you the ability to overcome those struggles in your life. I think all of us would be like, absolutely. Sign me up, let's do this. And then the second part of it, he's like, and I'm not done. The second part of it, it's the promise of eternal life, heaven. It's like, not only do I want you to overcome the obstacles in life right now while you're here on earth, I'm also gonna promise you heaven, where you get to spend eternity with me in this perfect, beautiful place. And I tell you, you could see these throughout Scripture. But you notice what he's not saying. He's not saying, hey, my purpose is to come and give you an easy life. My purpose is to come and give you a life that's now perfect. He recognizes our time here on earth, it's going to be a struggle. There's going to be difficult pieces to it. Because part of it is we're broken. As much as we may not like to admit it, yes, we came into the world as babies, and maybe we were innocent for a little bit, but by one or two, most of you were probably saying mine and taking things and knowing exactly how to hurt somebody. And so to me, that shows we are just broken as humanity. Even for us, just look at the world. Would you say this is what God wanted? Is this what we wanted? No. And so he's going, no, I'm giving you now the ability to overcome the struggles. And there will be a day when you will be able to experience heaven. And so God even explained this later on in the scriptures. Look at this passage. And I'm certain that God who began the good work within you, this work where you say, Jesus, I believe in you, I want that rich and satisfying life, and God goes, okay, let's start developing, let's start going towards that. That good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. So God makes this promise. He says, I will promise you a rich and satisfying life. But I think if we're honest, many of us are thinking, I I don't know if it's true. I don't know if I can trust him. Or some of us have gone to a pretty comfortable spot. We're like, yeah, God is good, but this is where I'm settling in right now. And God's kind of going, no, 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 we're not done. And so you think about it, this time here on earth, It's kind of like the waiting time. Just like there's a waiting time for things to heal. God is starting this, hey, let's start this relationship. And during this time here on earth, this will be a healing time to where that day when you get to go to heaven, that's when it will be completed. And so what are we doing while we're in this waiting time, while we're here on earth? So two questions I want you to wrestle with. First one is this. Is your life meaningful outside of yourself? Now, I understand some of us could be sitting here and go like, man, my life is great, I don't even need to hear this conversation, but I want to ask this question. Is your life meaningful outside of yourself? Because yes, you could have accomplished things, you could have done some things, but what about the impact around you? What if there's more to your life than just what you accomplish? How do you determine whether your life is meaningful or not? And then, Here's the second question. Are you willing to trust God in the waiting? I'd say this first question you're kind of wrestling with, okay, do I need God? Some of you may have gone, yes, I need him. I need need God for my life to be meaningful because I can't do it by myself. Then the second question becomes, I think, many of us face in a relationship with God where we're going, God, this was not as easy as I thought it was going to be. Is it going to get any easier? (laughs) Or are you just going to tell me to trust you more? And we wrestle with this. And in that waiting, realize that is God's process. Our time here on earth is God's process of developing us. So I want to share a story with you that really walks through that. The story is about a guy named David. Uh, He's real. He existed. Uh, History proves that. But the Bible talks about him a lot. And so to give you kind of the context of what's happening right now is that he's an Israelite, and at this time there's a king. The king's name is King Saul. But God no longer sees King Saul as the true king. He has left him and says, no, that's not my king anymore. And so God is now sending his prophet Samuel to go anoint the next king. And so that's where David comes into this picture. And so Samuel goes to David's dad's house. His dad's name was Jesse. And so Samuel shows up. I mean, just picture this moment. Think if this happened at your home, this would be hilarious. Prophet shows up and goes, all right, I'm here to anoint one of your siblings or your uh, sons. So can you bring them out, please? (laughs) And Jesse's like, okay. And so he had eight sons. So I want you to watch kind of what happens here in the first verse. Then Samuel asks, are these all your sons? So he had eight Jesse shows them the seven, thinking the first seven would be one of them would make the group, would be like, that's that's the one. That's the one. And Samuel keeps going, that's not the one God wants. That's not the one God wants. And so he asks the question: Is there still more? And you could just see this. They're still the youngest, Jesse replied. But he's out in the fields watching the sheep and goats. at once, Samuel said, We will not sit down to eat until he arrives. What I want to point out in this verse, you notice that the father didn't even use David's name. It's almost this like, yeah, he's probably not going to make it. He's not going to be the one. I've already determined that at his dad. The first seven have got to be it. And Samuel goes, no, I need to see the youngest. I tell you that because I think some of you need to hear this, that God has a plan for you and wants the rich and satisfying life for you. It doesn't matter how bad your life has been. It doesn't matter how sinful you've been. There's nothing that you could do that can separate you from what God wants from you. Even people may say, no, he doesn't deserve it, or she doesn't deserve it. That was going on in this scenario right here. They didn't think David deserved this. I can tell you why. But that's kind of what's being portrayed here. But I want you to hear that. Because then here's what happens in the next couple of verses. And the Lord said, this is the one, anoint him. So as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of olive oil he had brought and anointed David with the oil. And the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. Now, some of us are like, man, that's awesome. The youngest got anointed. He's going to prove it to his brothers and his dad that he can be a great king, and it probably happened really soon. No, it didn't. You know how long David had to wait to to become king? Fifteen years. Think about that. You get anointed. You have this powerful moment with God and someone, and even God is telling you, you're going to do this, and it's going to be remarkable. It's going to have so much purpose. You're going to have so much impact. And then you find out you have to wait 15 years. David didn't know that. He was just kind of, okay, I'm supposed to be king. And so the one thing we've got to realize about God's process is he calls you and tells you, here's my plan. Here's what the rich and satisfying life is going to be for you. The process it's going to take, it's going to require our time. So God's process will cost us our time. We love our time. We find it very valuable, and I totally understand that. I'm the same way, and can can we just be honest, there's many things that trigger us to impatience because we think our time is so valuable. I don't know if you've ever experienced just, I mean, it probably happened, Black Friday. It just causes you to just start boiling because of the lines and the things that are going on. You just sit there and you go, why is this happening? Why do we do this to ourselves? We're just an impatient culture. We get so annoyed when things don't go the way we want them to. I mean, you think about this. If you ever wonder, just mentally, how does impatience take over? Here's how it takes over. Something triggers you. You had a goal. You had something in mind that was supposed to happen in a certain time frame, and then it didn't happen, and all of a sudden you're like, I'm freaking out right now. You look at God and you're going, God, this was supposed to happen in this time. Why didn't you look at your family? This was supposed to happen by now. I don't know what's going on. I'm getting very impatient right now. It causes you to get angry. It causes you to do a lot of things. If you don't think we're impatient, just listen to these stats. 72% of Americans eat fast food at least once a week. Millions of Americans look for love in three to eight minutes speed dating sessions. More than half will wait 10 seconds or less. Before passing a slow walker, I would even say five seconds, let's be honest. But this is the one I love the most. Seventy-two percent admit to pushing an already lit elevator button, thinking it will help come down faster. <laughs> you know you've done it. Or you've stepped in and hit the close button, hmm, hurry up. It's just reality is, I think default-wise, we're just naturally more impatient than we are patient. We all know having patience is critical. So in this conversation, as we talk about costing us our time, it becomes a tough conversation because naturally we go, like, well, how much time? I don't know if I can give up that much time. I don't know if I can do that. And so David had to wait 15 years to become king. And what he did was he wrote actually a lot of songs. A lot of notes to God. And so they were recorded in the Bible too. They're known as Psalms. And so one Psalm, he talks about how to be patient. And so I want to share it with you. Commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust him and he will help you. He will make your innocent radiant like the dawn. And the justice of your cause will shine like the noonday sun. Be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. Don't worry about evil people who prosper or fret about their wicked schemes. I think we struggle with that part of being still and waiting patiently on God to act. I think if we were in David's situation, many of us would probably force the hand for us to be king because we knew it was supposed to happen, and we wouldn't have waited 15 years. We would have been like, ah, five years is enough. Seven years is enough. Actually, make it six months. And what we don't learn in that if, we're not, if we just let impatience take over, we will miss out on something. Because here's the reality. If we choose to be patient, if we choose to be patient in this waiting time, we'll learn to be wise. Patience in the waiting will reward us with wisdom. Because some of you may be going, okay, it's costing us our time. Why do I need to be patient? What's the, what's the win in this? What's the future reward in this? Wisdom. And as much as we know patience is what we need, some of us probably struggle with this. We struggle hearing this. We know it's right, but it's hard to do. Because you realize when a tough decision is before you, sometimes being patient is the right move to make. Before sounding off or saying something that you're going to regret, learning to be patient and thinking through it, that brings about wisdom. And so what we bring into this, if we know it's going to cost us our time, so what God is trying to teach us and develop in us, is going to learn to be patient. And if you learn to be patient, here's the beautiful part, you become very wise in how you deal with things. So I want to ask a question that maybe will help you recognize, okay, where am I? Am I really patient in this? Am I learning wisdom? the triggers that cause impatience, how are you dealing with those? When those come, when that impatient moment comes, how do you combat it with patience? How are you learning to take a step back and say, God, time is yours. Right now I will be still and wait for you to act. So here's the second part of God's process, though. God's process will cost us our comfort. Now, go back into David's story. He gets anointed and literally goes back to being a shepherd. Now, some cool things happen. He gets this opportunity. King Saul was needing somebody to play some music for him because he would get overly angry and music would calm him down. And so David was actually a really good guitar player. He gets to be with a king, which he probably thought, man, this is awesome. I get to learn from the king because maybe someday I'm going to be the king. Okay, this will be great. And so he's doing that. He's going back and forth between going to the palace and then he'd go back home and, and take care of... Being a shepherd, take care of the sheep, take care of whatever his dad needed him to. Well, at this time now, King Saul has now gone and started a battle with the Philistines and his brothers are in the army and so they go off to war. And so his dad goes, hey, David, can you send or take some food to your brothers? And so David's going there and shows up and it's kind of a mess because he walks in and he could tell the Israelites are all kind of scared and he hears this big ogre kind of dude named Goliath just screaming at the Israelites, telling them you're worthless, telling them their God is worthless, just making fun of them like crazy. And so David's going like, man, what's going on? What's happening? People explain it to him because this is kind of how traditionally people would fight back then. You get your two best warriors, they would fight, whoever won, then the other group would become their slaves just to make casualties really small, which I thought, that's a good idea. You know? And so, Goliath's out there saying all this, and David's like, man, we got to do something about this. Now, put yourself in David's shoes. You know you're supposed to be king. Some of us probably would have taken the comfort step and been like, you know what? Someone should do that. But it's not going to be me because I'm going to be king. I don't want to risk it. I don't want to put myself out there like that. That could be dangerous. May not get that opportunity to, to be king if I put myself out there like this. But that's not what David does. David starts telling everybody, he's like, we got to do something. I'll do something about this. And word finally gets to King Saul, and King Saul is excited that somebody wants to do it, and then finds out it's David, who at this time is just a teenage boy. And he's like, ugh. I mean, listen to this conversation. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy, and he's been a man of war since his youth. But David persisted. I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. When a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. Wow. Can we just say that right now? That's impressive. I have done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. Saul finally consented. You're going to see this as like... All right, you're crazy. Go ahead, he said, and may the Lord be with you. Now, I want you to see in the Scripture is (laughs) there are other moments, not just this moment where the Philistine and David just all of a sudden has this courage. No, there's other moments where a lion or a bear would try to take the sheep, and many of us would have been like, you know what? I'll take the loss on that one. Congratulations, you win. We would have, but David didn't. He didn't let his comfort get in the way. Instead, he chose courage. And so I want you to wrestle with this. What are you choosing? Are you choosing courage or are you choosing comfort in your life? Because hear me, courage in the waiting will reward us with opportunities. Because all of us want these. We all want the opportunities. We all want to be like, yes, give me those. I know I'll kill it. But then we don't have this. And so it's hard for us to ever get these if we're not willing to choose this. God's going. This is the process part. I want you to realize. I need you to have courage in moments, so that you can make the courageous choice. Because David eventually gets this opportunity to stand before Goliath and fight this big giant, and he wins. And everybody starts to look at him it's like, man, that guy's a hero. That guy changed it all. That's crazy. We won because of him. We all want those moments. But we're scared. And we're not courageous. Instead, we lean back into what's comfortable, what's safe. Think of these opportunities. What if you had the opportunity to be a great leader? My question to you is then, do you have the courage to be a vulnerable leader? What if I gave you the opportunity to go, you know what? You're going to get married. Then the question becomes, do you have the courage to forgive yourself and forgive your spouse? What if I gave you the opportunity to be a parent? Then the question would be, do you have the courage to admit when you failed or to admit when you're wrong? See, with every opportunity, courage is connected with it because courage is what gives us the ability to see that opportunity become an incredible thing. And then here's the third one, the last part of it. God's process will cost us our desires. So like I said, going back to David's story, David has completely won over the Israelite nation. They are just going, dude, you're awesome. And they were even kind of thinking like, man, this guy, what if he did become our king someday? Like he seems to be doing a little bit better than Saul. And Saul starts to hear this stuff. I don't know if you've ever had this in your life, things would be going well, but then there's someone close to you that gets annoyed about it, or gets jealous. And that's exactly what happens in David's life. His almost mentor, if you want to call it that, remember, he's been connecting, he's been playing music for King Saul. All of a sudden, turns on him. David is like best friends with Saul's son, but King Saul is going, no, 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 David's going to be the next, no, I can't have that, I want my son to be the next king. And so he starts pursuing David like crazy to the point he wants him dead. And so David, this puts his life in a whole spiral. He has to run. And at this point, he's got a family. And so he's running with his family. And also, there's a ton of warriors along with him who are just with him. They're going, hey, we'll fight with you. And all their families have to run. So picture this. Because of David, all these people are running from King Saul, trying to avoid being killed. And then there comes these opportunities where David gets Saul trapped. And Saul does not know David's around, nothing. David can totally take care of this problem. And part of him, there's probably a deep desire to want to do that, get revenge, just safety for his families, all those kind of things. His desires are strong for that. Even people who are pushing and words are like, dude, this is your chance. God has given you this chance. So look at how he responds. Then he shouted to Saul, Why do you listen to the people who say I'm trying to harm you? This very day you can see with your own eyes it isn't true. For the Lord placed you at my mercy back there in the cave. Some of my men told me to kill you, but I spared you. For I said, I will never harm the king. He is the Lord's anointed one. Hmm. It seems like David chose obedience over his desires over the influence of his men, over the influence of his family, over the influence of culture, all those kind of things. He could have, once again, wait, you know what? This just makes sense. I'm supposed to be the king. That's what I desire. I can take care of all this and become king real quickly. But he didn't. And I think this is a real struggle for a lot of us, including myself. In the culture we live in now, our desires lead our lives. Our desires pretty much tell us, okay, this is what I want, and so this is what I'm feeling, so I should get that. I should be able to receive that. And I think what we miss out on is we let our desires lead us. Now, hear me. Our desires can lead us down a good road at times, but it can also lead us down a horrible road. I mean, you can look at it. like Our desires has led to, yes, marriage being awesome, but then our divorce rate is really high. Our desires to hey man we're going to be parents and this is going to be awesome and then we see kids growing up without parents they just left so many people hurting because of a dad wound or a mom wound I'm telling you this just from counseling experiences people come to me and go this is what I want for my life this is it but then I'm meeting with them two or two weeks later and I'm uh, and they're going yeah I chose this because that's what I really wanted I'm like what happened to this over here. And so, what we need to see is obedience in the waiting. Catch this. Obedience in the waiting will reward us with blessings. If we're willing to be obedient, I know in the time it's tough to choose, like, okay, is it better to be obedient towards God or is it better to just let my desires? I know we can sit here, if we believe in God, we go, obedience. But man, our desires are so strong. I, counseling now is so fascinating to me because take marriage. Premarital counseling now, there are so many more people living together. That's how I do counseling now, as opposed to those who don't. That's where I go, our desires have taken over our obedience. Because God asked us not to do that, but we're like, what, it just makes sense. Financially, makes sense. Culturally, it's totally fine. And I can go down a lot of other areas, but I think you get the point. But if you play out this, so here's what happens. David... Decides to be obedient. Here's the blessings that come out of this. <laughs> he becomes king eventually. And he has victory over his enemies. He establishes some great wealth for the nation. On top of that, he kind of builds this kind of golden era. Starts the golden era for the Israelite nation. Some of the best years for Israelite were under David and then his son Solomon. Solomon. And I think it's centered around his willingness to be obedient. and Because he can't control all those things. Only God can. He can't control how all these things play out. Only God can. His job is like, I'll be obedient. Now, was he perfect in it? No. If you read the rest of his life, there's many times where he let his desires overcome his obedience. And it led to a mess in his life. But when he chose obedience, blessings came. And so my question for you is simply this. What leads your life? Who are you obedient to, God or your desires? So to kind of recap this, here's what I want you to realize. If we're going to make this decision to follow God and want and experience this rich and satisfying life, some of the things we probably, as church, we haven't said it as much as we should, it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you time. It's going to cost you comfort. It's going to cost you your desires. Because God is training you and developing you and teaching you how to have those things that you desperately want to do and make those right choices so you can experience some of these amazing things. That's what God wants for you. The question is, are we willing to go through that sacrifice, willing to put the cost and go, God, this cost is totally worth it. If I get the rich and satisfying life. To wrap up our time, I have a song for us that the band's gonna do. They were the ones that found it, and I think it's a perfect song for this. And the chorus talks about being in this waiting time and what to do during this waiting time. And I want you to check out this chorus. So, take courage, my heart, stay steadfast, my soul. He's in the waiting, he's in the waiting and hold on to your hope as your triumph unfolds he never he's never failing he's never failing when we sing this i simply want you to wrestle with is that your prayer is that what you want to be your declaration to god to where you say god i do trust you cuz i've been trying to fix my life that's been broken for many years and it's not working I need you, I need your miracle, I need your help. But I also understand it is gonna cost me things. It is gonna cost me time, it is gonna cost me comfort, it is gonna cost me my desires. But God, I'm willing to give those up because I believe in what you're offering. Those are the things you're wrestling with down deep in your heart. And so I have two questions to kind of finish. Our time, first one is this, is do you believe in God's future rewards? That's where it's gotta start. Do you believe God? Do you believe he's good? Do you believe he can give you this rich and satisfying life? Do you believe he loves you and he wants this for you? And the second one is maybe you're, you're there, but you've kind of gone back and forth with God or you've stepped away from God, but you've had that moment where you started to believe. But the second question is this, are you willing to trust God that the cost will be worth the future reward? Maybe you need to go back to that. So I want you to go ahead, close your eyes, bow your heads right now, because I want to give us a moment to where I want you to have a conversation with God. Before we sing this song, I simply want you to wrestle with those questions. And maybe today you're sitting in here and you're going, I need God in my life. I do believe. I do want the rich and satisfying life. So here's what I want. I simply want you to pray this prayer with me. Dear God, I believe in you. I believe that you have the rich and satisfying life that I know I desire. God, forgive me for not trusting you. Forgive me my sins. And God, today, I commit to you that I will put my life in front of you and say, God, lead it. And may I be willing to count the costs. And God, I believe you with all my heart. And I know you have a real life for me. May I be ready to sacrifice. May I be ready to live this life you want for me. And God, I pray for the rest of us. God, we all wrestle through these moments where we have to weigh the cost. And Lord, I pray that we would recognize that you are right there with us, guiding us and leading us and promising this amazing life to us. We may not experience the full weight of it now while we're here on earth, but heaven, God, is going to be amazing. I believe that with all my heart. And what I love is I have the ability right now with your power and your grace to overcome the obstacles in this life. They don't have to tear me down. I don't have to live in fear. You are the God above all gods. You are my king. You are my Lord. And I trust you. And God, may that be our prayer as we sing this song. We love you, Lord. We pray all this in your name. Amen. As the band prepares to lead us, I simply want you to reflect on these two questions that I asked earlier.
1: Do